And now the specs are quite remarkable for this new watch, but perhaps my favorite feature is the distress sound it makes. And if you weren't able to tune into the event yesterday, I will demo it for you now. <laughs> and that's where I'll actually cut it into the podcast recording. But Adam, aside no, from that, I, I think you need to leave that. Uh... <laughs> What's up, my fellow blue bubblers? Welcome back to another episode of Floor Nine. I'm your host, Ryan Miller, and today we're diving into Apple's September 7th event like we're equipped with Apple Watch Ultras. As ever, I'm joined by my co-host, Adam Simon. Adam, was on risk deck, dive deck on your Apple event bingo card? Uh, it was not, actually. So uh, definitely some surprises in this event, even though we thought we knew a lot going in. Well, thank God next time you're running an ultra marathon, your regular Apple Watch isn't going to overheat now that we've got a new product in store. But unexcitingly, uh, there was no headsets that many may have hoped were announced yesterday at the far out event. But we did get new additions to the watch, AirPods and iPhone collections. Of those, I would love to start with the 10 out of 10 top name product slash feature of the day. And that is iPhone 14's Dynamic Island. Now, Chad Stoller, may have thought this was a new Apple TV Plus show. Shout out to him. But in fact, it is a new feature coming to iPhone 14. Adam, care to regale us with what this feature has in store for us? Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I love the Dynamic Island branding. It is one of the weirder brand names we've seen come out <laughs> of Apple sure. recently, but it's it's so good. Basically, they're removing the notch and replacing it with a little pill-shaped cutout mm. uh, that will have a little bit of screen above it. Unlike the notch, it's not a peninsula, it's an island. Uh, <laughs> but the... Uh, it's not just, you know, the black sort of a uh, black pills hanging out in the middle of your phone. It's actually super integrated into the OS. So um, when you see notifications for like connecting your AirPods to your, your phone, for example, they will appear to the to pop out of the little sensor area where the camera is. And it looks like that the, the area where the camera is just sort of grows and shrinks mm. and adds these sort of live notifications and live activities into that that status area um, so it's a very interesting and you can tap on it and it will expand whatever information is sort of currently being displayed there it's a very interesting uh integration of hardware and software it's also only coming to the iphone 14 pro mm. um, so the first time we're seeing them differentiate the pro phones from the non-pro phones in software as opposed to just hardware and now I remember with iOS 16, there were some live activity integrations. How is this ultimately differing from that? Is it mostly prioritizing of the notifications or is it just based on the proximity of the screen to the top? So yeah, it's in retrospect, it seems very clear that they've been moving in this direction for a while. Both mm. those live activities, which are coming in iOS 16 next week, those are clearly designed with this in mind. Um, and it makes a little bit more sense as to you know, why they are a different thing from standard notifications uh, because on the 14 Pro, they will be handled very differently and, and have a little sort of miniaturized version that can live up in the uh, dynamic island area. Um, whereas normal notifications will, will start showing up at the bottom of the phone, which is a shift in iOS 16. Mm. Um, so live activities definitely, you know, will, will work on older devices, um, but on the newest high-end iPhones, they will have a little bit more of a native feeling to them. Um, and just to remind the audience, Live activities are designed kind of like 
things, situations where you might get a bunch of notifications over a relatively short period of time and a way to combine those into one thing that will now live in your dynamic island and keep you updated on the progress of something. The, the examples that they've used are uh, sports scores for one thing while a game mm -hmm. is happening, live sports updates. Uh, when you're waiting for a Lyft or an Uber uh, that it, you know you might get several notifications in that time span, or when you're waiting for an order from, uh, from Grubhub, for example, right? That you're waiting, you're going to get a notification maybe three or four over the course of, of waiting for that order to arrive. So I think we're going to see a lot more interesting uses of, of, of live activities. And now that, that everybody's seen the dynamic Island, there's a ton of excitement on the internet around the dynamic Island. So I think we're going to see a lot of third-party developers updating their apps to really take advantage of that uh, new, new real estate on the iPhone and the iOS platform. Yeah, I'm interested to see what third parties do with that SDK as well. I think it's similar to how they've kind of uh, introduced more interesting production features for complications at the watch level as well. I think this is also going to usher in more third party applications for the live activities. 100%. And that's actually a great transition into the second major feature coming, uh, again, only to the iPhone 14 Pro models, which is the always on display. I think that always on display is part of Apple's concerted effort to push for this hands-free future. As I alluded to at the top of the podcast, obviously there was no announcements regarding mixed reality headsets, but I think that this is one of the such technologies that they're bringing to the fore to help us evolve towards that hands-free computing paradigm. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you know, I think this is something that clearly they pioneered on the watch and it has been on several on Android phones for, for a while now on certain high-end Android phones. But they're treating it a little bit differently, uh, as you might expect. Uh, and it, it is unlike a lot of Android phones, which go to a very dim sort of often black and white interface when they're in uh, always on mode, the iPhone isn't going to do that. It's going to be full color. If you've got a photo on your lock screen, you're going to be still be able to see the whole photo. It's just going to dim and it's going to slow the refresh rate the same way it does on the watch. Uh, but it is going to give you uh, widgets on your lock screen that are very similar to the complications on the watch. Uh, and as we talked about when they announced this feature, uh, it seems like this is a great sort of tightening of the ecosystem and it's going to really encourage developers to be building for the lock screen, but then also, oh, click this checkbox. And suddenly you've also got a watch app and a watch complication. Um, and just a great way to sort of support both sides of that ecosystem at the same time. Yeah, exactly. As good as it is for developers, it's exceedingly exceptional for the users as well. Now we have all these fun toys to play with at our disposal to really customize that lock, lock screen experience and make it a lot more accessible in ways that we need. Yeah, I think it's really interesting with the introduction of live activities with iOS 16 and eventually Dynamic Island on iPhone 14 Pro. I think there is an opportunity for brands to really take advantage of the lock screen as this new frontier to reach the consumer. Obviously, we've been hidden behind notifications and, you know, with these dimming screens, we weren't able to always break through the noise. But now I think there's a way for brands to be persistent and add value to the user experience, specifically at the lock screen level. Pivoting away from the iPhone and Apple Watch and moving into the third of Apple's holy triumvirate of products, AirPods Pro. Um, they did unveil the new AirPods Pro 2, and I thought one of the really cool features was the new volume control, which you use your hand to swipe up and down in order to adjust the sound that's coming in through your ears. I think for future considerations, when we think about Apple's mixed reality ambitions, this kind of interface can be a little bit more familiar and something that they consider going forward. Um, but that was just one of my favorite features of the new AirPod Pro 2. Adam, what about you? What, what really uh, tickled your fancy there? 
honestly, this is going to sound boring, but I think it's more interesting than it sounds at first glance, which is the integration with FindMy and the U1 mm. chip, the, the ultra wideband chip. Uh, first of all, I think it is well past time for all AirPods to be integrated into the Find My ecosystem. Beach. I know that they don't, uh, they, they only update the AirPods every few years, but come on, like if you're going to lose anything, <laughs> like you're going to lose your AirPods. So great to see that they're doing that. They updated the case so that it can play a louder sound and stuff like that to help you find it. But I actually think this is also a step in the direction of, of the headset, because I think it's very mm. likely that you're going to be want to use AirPods with spatial audio with the headset to get a good audio experience. And you're you might need to find your AirPods when you have the headset on. So I do think mm. that part of this is about making sure that once you put the headset on, you can find your AirPods and put them on without having to take the headset off again, um, which is just... I know it sounds niche, but just wait, wait for that headset announcement. They're, they're going to somehow demo you finding your AirPods in augmented reality. I'm just calling it right now. Yeah, I do think that it is a really brilliant feature to introduce the speaker to the case and making uh, distinct noises for each AirPod in order to allow you to find them more readily. We see uh, similar technology being employed at the VR and AR level that when you have the headset on, you're able to find your controller. So I think this is just pushing it one step further. Um, in the AirPod space, though, one thing that I did want to touch on and you kind of alluded to was spatial audio. They are bringing that one step further from that 360 immersive audio that we may be familiar with in that spatial realm. Um, what they're calling it is personalized spatial audio. And as a husband of an audiologist, this is something that rang very true to me. What they're doing is they're enabling you to take a picture of your auditory canal in order to determine how to best articulate those sounds in your eardrum to make that a sound experience designed specifically for you. So if you want to uh, really feel like you're in something, this is the next level of audio immersion. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I will TBD how well it works, but clearly <laughs> they think that there is room for improvement there. And clearly they're getting very serious about spatial audio, which I know there's been a little bit of a you know promotion inside of Apple Music and, and uh, it does work with, with Apple TV. Uh, but I do, it's very clear that spatial audio is really there for the headset and uh, they would not be spending <laughs> this much time promoting it and talking about it if it wasn't a key piece of their strategy in the next year or so. Yeah, and to borrow a word that they said many times yesterday, I think it makes those mixed reality, virtual reality experience a lot more dynamic than they would be otherwise. You know, being able to contextualize <laughs> where people are in the world around you is a really unique feature that you're able to have through that spatial audio. Almost as dynamic as an island. <laughs> Reinforcing brand trust and loyalty was certainly a common theme for Apple throughout this event. Apple Health got a big update to its women's health capabilities, but rather than Adam and I try to mansplain what's new on that front, we brought in our manager of strategy, Katie Geisrader. Welcome, Katie. Thank you. And I will also caveat that not only women ovulate. <laughs> so I'll just start out with being incredibly annoying. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that information. You know, I don't think everyone would have been aware of it because, you know, I wasn't. And I know that you recently penned an article called New Brand Responsibilities in the Post-Row Era that addresses the importance of privacy as it pertains to women's health issues. Can you just take us through some of yesterday's updates and what the implications are as it pertains to your article and just women's health at large? Yeah, absolutely. So what they announced yesterday was that the new Apple Watch will um, include two temperature sensors that will mm. basically, you know, obviously 
monitor your body temperature while you're sleeping, which then um, lets people understand when they're ovulating because um, the body basically changes temperature depending on kind of fluctuations and hormones and that sort of thing. So it's a really good indicator of, um, of, you know, when you're ovulating, if you're trying to get pregnant or trying to avoid being pregnant. So although Apple can't necessarily say that during that event, but um, so that was essentially the update. They, you know, they added those temperature sensors um, and it, it essentially in the health app, you're able to track, um, track sort of your, your, uh, your body temperature and whatnot. So I think that's really interesting that you're getting a lot more biometric data that helps you keep track of important, um, you know, health issues. The other side of the coin that I think is important to talk about is the privacy aspect. And I know that they're doing on-device encryption, I believe for this, but why is Mm -hmm. this such an important consideration at the current moment? Yeah, it's obviously super important with the repeal of Roe v. Wade and um, the you know ton of states that had trigger laws to um, outlaw abortion after mm-hmm. that. Um, and we've seen um, some states and law enforcement already try to use uh, data from you know tech platforms like uh, like this happened specifically with Facebook, I think a couple of months ago, um, to uh, penalize people who. Um, have sought abortions. So it is obviously super important that um, any kind of uh, reproductive health uh, data is private. Um, We've seen also, you know, kind of the the cycle tracking apps, I think, like flow, Mm -hmm. and then there are just a platter of them. Various cycle apps, um, their policies prior to the repeal of Roe v. Wade, we're not super clear in terms of how the data that they collect was shared and able to be purchased by advertisers. And then also ultimately, of course, shared with law Mm. enforcement. Um, There has been, you know, quite naturally a, uh, a big reaction to that kind of um, just lack the lack of clarity around um, that sort of data being shared. And, you know, some, some of the apps I know like flow introduced an anonymous mode. So you can, So it just kind of stops tracking your data at certain points. Um, So obviously this is something that people are very, very aware of and very, very sensitive about right now as you know, they very well should be. Um, And what Apple is doing is essentially storing the data on the device and end to end encrypting so that they cannot have, um, they cannot get access to that data Mm -hmm. um, and and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think Apple has really made a, very concentrated push in the last couple of years to be a privacy first company. And as they continue to evolve their health offering, demonstrating that they have the tact to handle these kinds of scenarios is important to uh, build that consumer trust and loyalty that they've been able to foster over the last few years. Totally. And it, it really did seem like they were being very explicit about all of the things that they're doing to protect people's privacy, particularly for the ovulation um, tracker. Um, just really reiterating how, uh, you know, how the data is stored locally, it's encrypted, they cannot get access to it, you have to use either your passcode or your face ID or your fingerprint, that kind of thing to be able to access it. Um, Which, you know, which makes sense, because those are the things that people are sensitive about. A lot of interesting, exciting advancements, but I think the privacy angle is the one that we should be most focused on from uh, this announcement for sure. Yes. And fertility and menstruation are hugely underserved areas in wearables Mm. and health in general. Um, So, I mean, I I will be a big advocate for women, you know, women and people who ovulate um, 
being more in control of their health and, you know, being able to have better conversations with their doctors who, for some goddamn reason, do not always have a, a good grasp of, uh, of, you know, the health of their patients, particularly women. So it's just an, it's an interesting kind of balance between having access to that data and having, you know, feeling empowered by having, you know, understanding what your body is doing, but then also the kind of fine line of, um, making sure that your data is not falling into the wrong hands and it cannot be used against you um, in one of these various states that has uh, decided it should be the 19th century again. For sure. No, (laughs) I I think that about covers it. I appreciate you coming on and delivering that insightful perspective on the matter, something that I don't know if I would have been able to as eloquently articulate. So thank you, Katie, for being here. You're welcome. Moving on to technologies that Apple claimed that you could trust with your life to keep it in that consumer loyalty and brand trust sphere, uh, crash detection is now available across the new series of watches and the new iPhones. Enabled with an all-new accelerometers capable of detecting 256 Gs of force, your devices will now alert emergency services in the event that you cannot access it manually. Um, they showed a little vignette yesterday during the event that showcased a couple of scenarios in which that might actually prove useful. So definitely a future that I think will be... Uh, well-received by the user base. But one that I think was definitely a little more conversation-worthy was the satellite communication that they talked about. Now, Adam, I know there's a lot of sides to this story already unfolding. You uh, care to give us both sides of it and what the technology actually does fundamentally? Yeah, so this is uh, something that has been rumored for years, but what is happening is that in the, the iPhone 14 and 14 Pro, you if you are in an area where you have no cell coverage, uh, you but you need to call emergency services, you will be able to send a message to emergency services using a new SOS feature. Um, unclear exactly how you activate it, but somehow you will activate this feature. It will walk you through a bunch of steps to collect some basic data about the kind of emergency you're having, as mm-hmm. well as your GPS location, and then relay that to emergency services. If you're in an area where emergency services accepts text messages, you'll be able to text back and forth with them, although really slowly, because news to me, even sending a text message over a satellite connection uh, can take up to several minutes, depending Mm -hmm. on, on how clear a view of the sky you have. If you're in an area that does not, where emergency services does not have text messaging capability, there will be an Apple run call center where they will receive the text messages from you and relay them to emergency services over the phone, which is super interesting. That I think is is a piece of this puzzle that definitely did not leak and is sort of new information. Mm -hmm. Um, But it it just goes to show you sort of how much thought and effort they're putting into this service, um, which uh, I think is the right thing to do because if the service is going to be valuable, it has to work 100% of the time. It's filling a gap in the cellular network service. Uh, and so they the entire point of it is to be 100% or as close to 100% reliable as possible. And to interject, this wouldn't be possible without uh, like advanced satellite phone or like one of those Garmin trackers otherwise, right? Yes, correct. So there, there were a, there was an announcement last week of something that's uh, at first glance seems kind of similar from Starlink and T-Mobile. Mm. That is a totally different technology, uh, trying to accomplish some of the same aims of filling in gaps in traditional cellular coverage. Um, but this requires a special antenna 
for satellite communication built into the iPhone, you have to be outside with a cl as clear a view of the sky as possible. It's basically replacing those dedicated satellite communication devices from companies like Garmin that uh, if you're into you know going extremely off the grid, uh, you're probably familiar with, but they're dedicated devices that cost a few hundred dollars and require their own service plan. Um, and this is really designed to replace that and obviously expands the market for satellite communication by making it available to everyone with a, a newer iPhone. Definitely. And, you know, it was very bleak sentiment that Apple talked about how not all emergencies happen where their servers service, but it definitely is true. So having this as a backup and peace of mind, I think, further plays into uh, Apple establishing that brand trust with their consumers that, you know, are very loyal, as we found out over the last 20 years. Yeah, I think it was really notable that this Apple keynote had um, a woman <laughs> recreate in a standing in a recreation of a plane crash talking about how her Apple watch saved her. Um, a lot of talk about car crashes and like very artfully directed commercials to show car crashes where you don't actually see anybody injured. Uh, and this SOS satellite feature, which, you know, I think there's a lot of, uh, uh, <laughs> there's a general feeling, I believe Richard said this while we were watching it, of Apple getting us ready for the end of the world a little bit. Mm. <laughs> And now plays in, it's the end of the world as we know it. Um, lastly, on the brand trust side of things, though, it, it was very readily apparent Apple's effort in the carbon cutting, green space, sustainability forward messaging, marketing, and ultimately production. I think after every announcement they made, they brought up a slide that talked about how they were car cutting carbon during their you know production process and how all these materials and rare earth metals, which is something I heard you know, more times in my life yesterday than ever before are recyclable. Um, I think it's just a really good nod as to most brands, you know, taking a very conscious sustainability first approach, Apple following suit and trying to lead the way in terms of, uh, you know, tech players in that space. So finally, I want to dive into some of the niche, more aspirational products that were unveiled yesterday. And I know I joked about it in the opening, but Apple did unveil a new watch called the Ultra, which really is designed to stand up for those looking for a great escape like we posited in our annual outlook. Uh, this is also a product that's been rumored for some time. It's, it's a new higher end watch that is more expensive. Uh, that is basically like the G-Shock of Apple Watches. It's really mm. designed to, um, again, we, we spoke about Garmin uh, when talking about the SOS satellite features. Apple's really going after Garmin right now yeah. um, because this is really positioned for um, those marathon and ultra marathon runners, those triathletes, those folks who are scuba diving and then trekking through the desert. Like it is an extreme sports watch that I guarantee, it, it just like, you know, many SUVs and pickup trucks uh, will probably be used for that purpose about 5% of the time that it is actually worn. Um, but it is, uh, you know, designed to last you up to 60 hours on a single charge, which is much higher than a normal Apple mm. Watch. I believe they said that the standard watch gets a, a quote unquote full day at 18 hours uh, of, of charge. So, um, you know, the this is is several times that obviously. Um, and it's, it's more rugged. It's designed to be used with gloves. It's got a, I think the most notable feature is Apple added a button to something. They 
never add buttons <laughs> to anything. And this is a watch with a dedicated action button that can be um, sort of used by, by apps on the watch uh, to do sort of custom things. Um, it also is doing some cool stuff like automatically you know, tracking your location with, with breadcrumbs. So making it easy to retrace your steps if you get lost in the middle of nowhere, even if you have no signal. Um, it doesn't, notably, it does not have the SOS satellite capabilities. My guess is that's probably still too big to build into yeah. the watch. But my guess is that the next version or the in one or two versions, we'll see that that feature come to the watches to the ultra version of the watch as well, because it seems like a natural fit for the people who are going to need that the most are the people who are in the market for this watch. Yeah, I mean, Alex Honnold, Bear Grylls, we're looking at people like you. If you're in the market for a new watch, the Apple Watch Ultra is definitely uh, in your wheelhouse for types of products that you're looking for. But those are obviously the hyperactive. There was another announcement that was, you know, watch related that I thought was interesting. And that was that Fitness Plus would be made available to all users in 21 countries, regardless of whether or not they owned a watch. So I thought that, you know, maybe if you're more tepid in your fitness journey, um, you could step into a Fitness Plus class first before you take that ultra out on an ultra marathon. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is maybe sort of a way to use Apple Fitness Plus to encourage more people to get into the watch ecosystem. Mm. It, a lot of the watch announcements really seemed like they were, um, as we saw in, in early days of the iPhone, looking at reasons that people don't wear an Apple Watch and trying to chip away at that list. Um, and I think that that's obviously the right strategy because I think they've reached a pretty good level of saturation among iPhone users with the standard Apple Watch. And now it's time to start looking at, you know, why are people not wearing the watch? Are they wearing something else that's doing a similar job? And do we need to displace that on the wrist? Or are they not wearing any watch right now? And we need to somehow convince them of the, uh, of the utility. So lastly, I want to close. What What is an iPhone without an industry-leading camera? And I think we saw some more updates on that front when they unveiled the 14 and the 14 Pro. Um, I think that the capabilities under more intense lighting conditions is something that was a noticeable upgrade. So if you're a multi-hyphenate TikToker, Twitcher, YouTuber, whatever it is, content creator, this is the phone that will enable you to tap into those high-end production capabilities and be able to recreate experiences that, you know, TV and film production was able to do, you know, 15 years ago or so. Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, we're all content creators in some way, shape or form at this point. And I think that we know we know that that camera uh, features drive upgrades of phones. Um, and I don't think that there's ever actually a point where it's good enough. I don't think that I don't think I don't think that it, we're going to reach a point of good enough anytime soon is what I should say, uh, because I think that as soon as you hit that point, uh, capabilities change. And that's why we, you know, the iPhone has been shipping LiDAR sensors on the pro phones for uh, a while now. Uh, those have not really been used by many people, but you know, if they do ship this headset next year, we might suddenly see a lot of people using LiDAR sensors who would never use them before. And I think there's a lot to be said for the use of those cameras as input devices, which is something we've been talking about for years at this point. And at some point, it's not just about capturing static photos or even the highest quality video you can imagine. At some point, it's going to be about also digitizing the world around you. And I think that uh, there will be more of a story about that coming probably in about six months. Well, I can't wait until we uncover uh, what's in store with the next Apple event. That will do it for our coverage of Apple's Far Out event. 
I want to thank Katie Geisreiter for joining us this week to discuss the updates to health and privacy implications. And Adam, as ever, it was a pleasure sharing the mic with you. You want to tell our guests where they can find us? Yeah, as always, you can uh, find us at IPG Lab on uh, Twitter and Medium, and you can sign up for our newsletter at IPGLab.com. And thank you all for being here as always. Uh, until next time, bye-bye. You should have made the noise again. <laughs> Until next time. Yeah. I don't even know what I, noise you made. <laughs> I, I don't even remember what the sound was exactly, but that was like I don't the most either. disturbing noise I could think of in my mind. And like, that was it. When they played that sound, I could not contain my laughter. Getting help when you need it is critical, especially in the backcountry. That's why Apple Watch Ultra has a built-in 86 decibel siren that you can activate using the action button. It has a unique sound pattern that alerts others to your location up to 600 feet or 180 meters away.